please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. As we begin a, a new focus for the month of March this morning, here comes the incredible kingdom of God. So for the month of March, if the Lord allows, we're going to focus on the incredible kingdom of God. Let's pray. Yes, there is something about the name of Jesus. Thank you that there is healing in the name of Jesus. Deliverance in the name of Jesus. Peace, hope, joy, and love in the name of Jesus. Thank you that there is salvation, Father, in the name of Jesus. We also thank you that there is authority in the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, help me to preach Jesus, your darling son, in this moment. Like John the Baptist, I decrease so that Christ might increase through me. Have your way in this moment, God. Your word tells me that the preparation of the heart belongs to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Lord, speak today. Speak to us. Change how we think today. Because as a person thinks so is he, so is she. Change how we think today through the transforming power of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your help that you will provide for us today. Not only to speak the word and hear the word, but for all of us to live the word. We submit, we yield to you, and we thank you that you are our helper. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here comes the incredible kingdom of God. I'll begin reading in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Um, what some have called the Lord's Prayer. But as we're going to see, this is not the Lord's Prayer per se. Because Jesus did not pray this prayer. Because he had no debts for which to be forgiven of. That's you and that's me. This is the disciples' prayer. So we've got some disciples in the building who are willing to be taught by the master. Let's begin reading at Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. In this manner, the Lord says... Therefore, pray, our Father 
in heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I have a question. What do you talk about? When you talk, when you have dialogue with folks, what do you talk about? Well, let me phrase it this way. What do you talk about the most? If you sit and think about conversations, do you talk the most about your job? About where you work, what you do? Is that what you spend a lion's share of your time talking about, your work? What about school? If you're in school, do you spend a lot of time talking about school? Or do you spend a lot of time talking about money? Because the job is either not giving you enough money or you don't have enough money for school. I don't know. What, what do you spend time talking about? Do you spend time talking about health and fitness? Do you spend a lot of your time talking about recipes and things that people can use in order to have a more healthy lifestyle? Do you talk about the gym and working out? It's kind of like um, a broken record that when we hear you, we know you're going to talk about these things. What about sports? That when you talk, we know you're going to tell us about what's going on with John Morant and the Grizzlies. You're going to talk about LeBron. You're going to talk about baseball, golf, whatever. You're going to talk about sports. ESPN, you're very faithful. Or, or you're going to talk about God because you're a believer. And so you're going to talk a lot about your relationship with God. But then some of us talk a whole lot about politics. Politics. The right, the left, progressives, conservatives, Fox News, CNN, uh, Biden, Trump. I mean, we talk about politics or in the midst of that, we may even talk about conspiracies that's going on. So, so when we talk, we, we're going to talk about these kinds of things. Some of us spend a lot of time talking about race and racism. Others like talking a whole lot about music and the arts. So when you talk, what do you talk about? What do you talk the most about? Well, when we consider Jesus, and if we were to ask that question of our master, what did he talk about? He talked about a whole lot of things. And so when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus talked about death and life and heaven and hell and marriage and divorce. I mean, he spoke on a whole gamut of things. But I ask myself, what did he talk about the most? What did he talk about the most? And if I were to throw my hat in the ring with all of you wonderful theologians out here today, I would suggest that Jesus probably taught more about the kingdom of God than anything else. That when he talked about these various subjects, many times he 
put them within the context of the kingdom of God. Now, if I would ask you to tell me what is the kingdom of God, can you answer that? Um, we would probably get a whole lot of different answers on what the kingdom of God is. But I find it interesting that for a topic that Jesus spoke so much about, the church, especially here in the West, which I'm more accustomed to, speaks very little about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, before Jesus even talked about the church, he talked about the kingdom of God. And to go a little bit deeper, Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than he did the church. You see, when we read the four gospels, Jesus only mentions the word church three times. And those three mentions are found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, when he talked about building his church. But even then, he put the church against the backdrop of the kingdom of God. But when we talk about the church, we rarely ever mention the kingdom of God. So I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus, and I want to talk about the things he talked about. And I want to try to understand this concept called the kingdom of God. So today's message, we're calling it praying for the kingdom to come. We see this here in Matthew 6, this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples about praying in verse 10 that your kingdom come. So what does that mean? And even more so, what happens when we pray for the kingdom to come. What, what does it mean and, and what's the significance of praying this way? We all have a lot to learn starting with me. And so I'll, I'll start off with a basic question. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, let me tell you something here. It is not easy to define. And I think that's why you don't hear a lot of us preaching and teaching on the kingdom of God because it can be somewhat nebulous, esoteric, ambiguous. I mean, it's not as clear as we would like to think that it is because the kingdom of God is so many things. And in Hebrew thought, following your rabbi around from place to place and you're learning about the kingdom, and again, it is so wide and so broad and so deep and as we'll see in a moment, so mysterious that for the Hebrew mind, okay, we understand, okay, we get that. But here in the West, many times, we're so linear in our thinking that we want easy definitions for complex kingdom paradigms. And, and it doesn't always work like that. So we just move on. I mean, you can't tell, but my knees are shaking right now because I'm trying to figure out how can I condense the kingdom of God into four sermons for the month of March. I gave up on that. I, there's no way. There are volumes and volumes and volumes about the kingdom of God. And even all of that pales to even make a dent and a scratch on what the kingdom of God is. But yet, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, hearing, not having heard. So, Lord, we got to keep hearing. We got to keep learning. We got to keep growing. And I hope that uh, here's how I determine a successful sermon. 
If it makes you want to go home and read your Bible more, that's successful. I'd rather you leave here talking about how deep the word is more so than how deep the preacher is. Can I get an amen? I hope, I hope, I hope you're tracking with me today. That if this uh, uh, causes a hunger and a thirst in you to get into the Bible, man, then, then we're doing our jobs as teachers of our classes and preachers in the pulpit um, because it can't be, our relationship with God cannot be confined to one place in space or from one voice of a person. Um, there's so much God wants to teach us and show us, but we have to be willing to spend some time with him and in his word. So Pastor Chris, what is the kingdom of God? Well, just a couple of clues from scripture. It's a paradigm to see. It's a philosophy to see. What do you mean? John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jews, comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know he's talking to this young rabbi who's going around saying things that the old rabbis do not say, and he's doing things the old rabbis cannot do. And so Nicodemus comes to him because there's been much talk about Jesus on the streets, and he said, uh, I want to talk to you about these signs and miracles that you're doing. And Jesus said, I want to talk to you about your soul. You want to talk about signs. No, I want to talk about your soul. And he said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, that unless you are born again, something happens in your soul, you can't see the kingdom of God. So it's a paradigm to be seen. And really the only way to see it is when you have become born again. Because otherwise, you're on the outside looking in. You'll never get it. And you have to be on the inside looking out and even looking through a kingdom lens. So Jesus says, man, you've got to be born again to even see the kingdom of God. You ever have somebody say, uh, man, I, uh, you, you may tell them something like, you know what, um, let's fast for 10 days and only drink water. Let's fast. You'll have people say, I can't see that, bro. I, I, I can't see that, bro. Or whatever it may be. And so Jesus said to him, you can't even see this if you're not born again. And then later in verse 5, the kingdom of God is not only a paradigm or a philosophy, it is also a place to enter. Because he says again to Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So it's something to see. It's something to enter. So dig this. The kingdom of God is a place to live in heaven. We want to go to heaven. We go to heaven through Jesus, believing Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's a place to enter. It's a place to live when you die. And it's also a way to live until you die. It's a place to go when you die and say way to live until you die. A kingdom mindset, a kingdom mentality. The kingdom is also a picture. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he says the kingdom of God is like, and he gives various pictures or illustrations about the kingdom. It's like a drag net. It's like a pearl of great price. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. So he's trying to give people pictures 
in order to interpret and understand because so many of us are visual learners and, and we got to see it. And so Jesus would teach with very vivid word pictures. But not only is it a picture, it is a power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the church of Corinth was acting up and they were almost daring Paul, the apostle who planted the church, to show up and discipline the people there. And Paul said, um, the kingdom of God is more than talk. It is power. And that's when he was talking. Do you want me to come there with a whip of cords? Because I can. But I'd rather come in gentleness because you have chosen to repent before I get there. But the kingdom is not about merely talking. It's about power. Not only is the kingdom a paradigm and a place to enter, a picture in its power, it's also something that is here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when Jesus began his ministry, he began by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, in other words, the kingdom of God is here because the king from heaven is here. Repent, get your life right, it's here. But then he would teach us here in Matthew 16, uh, 6, verse 10, that the kingdom is coming. It's here and it's coming and then he would say in Matthew 6, that the kingdom is something to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things on earth that you need will be added to you. So again, you see how elusive this concept is, how big it is? This is why the kingdom is something to be grappled with. You just don't get it in one hearing, one sermon, one book. It's a lifestyle kind of a thing, and we grapple with it because Jesus said to the disciples, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So again, this thing is we're grappling with it because it's a mystery, but it's been given to us to understand what's going on. And when a lawyer came to Jesus, a lawyer in those days was like a scribe, you know, smart guy as far as the Bible. He knew the law of the word. And he's asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, loving God, quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 18, loving your neighbor as yourself. And that particular scribe, unlike some of the others, agreed with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom. You're real close because the kingdom is about love. Loving God, loving people. You're not far from the kingdom. So it's something to grapple with and then it's something to grasp. Because Jesus said the kingdom is within you. Wow. It's so many things. The kingdom of God is now. And it's not yet. It's here. And it's coming. It's in you. It's among you. Oh, wow. Pastor, you done gave me so much, man. Look, I'm, not, I'm just getting started. But let's break it down in simplest of terms if we can. What is the kingdom of God? Here it is. Yes, it's so many things, but in its simplest Definition, the, the kingdom of God is the rule of God, period. What is the kingdom of God? It is the rule or the reign 
of God. Kingdom. The king's dominion. Kingdom. The king's dominion. That he has authority. That he dominates. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. The reign of God. The dominion of God. Why? Because God rules over every place. Every person. Every realm. Every demon. And every circumstance. He reigns. If he doesn't reign over every person, he's not God. If he doesn't, because every knee is going to bow. Uh, it's either now or later. If he doesn't reign over every demon, he's not God. But, but the demons tremble at the sound of his name. If he doesn't reign over every realm, because again, they're going to bow in hell, not just in heaven. He reigns everywhere and even over every problem. Every circumstance, every situation, everything we go through, there is nothing that God does not rule nor reign over. It's called sovereignty. That God is sovereign. That God rules not only over the big stuff, but over the little stuff, if you will, of our lives. The kingdom is the rule of God. But here's the question, believers. Do we believe it? Do we believe that God reigns over everything? That my steps are ordered, which means my steps are ordained. I make mistakes, but he doesn't. So do I believe that my life is ordered? It is not a mistake because God is sovereign and with that God is good and he is merciful, he is kind, all those things. Do I believe that or do I think that God fell asleep at the wheel with me? No, my steps are ordered even when things get out of order. My steps are ordered even when like Peter, I'm walking on water and I sink. My steps are ordered on sunny days, on sad days, on good days, on bad days. My steps are ordered because God is king. He's sovereign. And when I live like I believe, God rules over everything. Y'all, it changes everything. When we believe that God rules over everything, it changes everything because nothing happens in our lives without his divine permission, blessing, and approval. So if we run into evil, he didn't do it directly, but because he's God, he allowed it indirectly. So rather than cursing God, like Job's wife said, Job had a bigger view of things than his wife did. And he said, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a kingdom mindset. And that's where God is growing each and every one of us. Because once we live like we believe God rules, everything, everything changes. It changes how we worship. Ah, you're not trying to stroke God or stoke fires to get. No, no, you recognize the one you're worshiping 
is the king of the universe. He, he is everywhere all the time with all power. Oh God, I worship you. I bless you. I honor you. It changes how we see the church. When you have a kingdom mindset, it, it changes how we read the Bible. It changes how I preach the Bible, how we teach the Bible. It changes how we raise our children. It changes how we utilize money. It changes how we see our problems. It changes when you have a kingdom mindset how you see people. People are made in the image of God. It changes how you view people. It also changes how you see people who live in poverty. Because in the kingdom, the last are first. The first are last. With a kingdom mindset, so rather than looking down on folks, you're uplifting people. It's the kingdom mindset. It changes how you see people in power. Rather than going around trying to get people to see you and, 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 and if I can talk to the right people and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and yeah, we should give honor to whom honor is due. But the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. Proverbs 21.1. And like rivers of water, he directs it as he sees fit. Which is why Jesus could stand before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority and the power to let you live or let you die? But the king said, you would have no power or authority if it were not given to you from my father above. So that's the king's mindset, a kingdom mindset. And also changes how we see the devil. Sometimes Christians give the devil too much credit for stuff He's not doing. That's not the devil. That's you. There was a preacher who calls himself a prophet. He was out there saying that Christians who are on social media have attached themselves to demons. Like what? And this clown is saying that on social media. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be, to be critical of that dude. I'm trying to be a critical thinker. But people believe that stuff. No, it's not a demon. It's the fact you don't have discipline if you're spending too much time on social media more than you're spending with God and God's people and all that kind of stuff. So it's a tool. Yes, it can make you a fool. But don't blame it on a demon. Take responsibility. God is using the internet in these last days to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the kingdom will not come, Jesus said, until everyone hears. And with these computers that we hold in our hands, we're able to access information and truth. And yes, it can be overwhelming because Daniel prophesied that in the last days, knowledge will just run to and fro. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. But are we gaining wisdom? And that's something we all need to ask ourselves. But it also changes how we pray. When, when I get a kingdom's mindset, it changes how I pray. Because when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for someone to come and something to be done. 
So when we're praying, your kingdom come, we're praying for the king to come. But we're also praying for something to be done. Let me see if I can say it this way. A lot of times we just want this kind of pie in the sky Christianity that just looks to heaven and heaven only. But somewhere in that prayer it talks about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to have this heavenly focus but no earthly presence or reality. That's not the prayer the Lord taught us to pray. And so, yeah, I'm looking for this king to come, but the king is looking for something to be done on earth like it is in heaven through who? His people who he told to pray the prayer. So this is a prayer that leads us to action and not just being caught up in wonderful theological concepts and constructs. The king is coming, Revelation 19, many crowds. Oh, that's true. But what difference does it make? Oh, I'm here to encourage you today because, number one, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for God's rule to come through his son. Uh Mm -hmm. We're praying your kingdom come. We're praying for God's son to come. Matthew 16, verse 27 through 28. For the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels. Can Jesus lie? No. Is he coming? Yes. So the Son of Man will come, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The kingdom is coming. They got a glimpse of that in chapter 17 with the Mount of Transfiguration, but the king and the kingdom, they're coming. Revelation 12.10 We get a fast forward of what's going to happen at the end times. And it says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So again, this is a a fast forward because when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about end times. Or another word is eschatology. A lot of people have different views about the kingdom of God and the end times. I just hope you believe that the king is coming. Oh, the bride, as we're going to see in a moment, the bride is looking for the groom to come. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel said, don't don't stand around just gazing up to heaven. Because the same way he went up on a cloud, he's coming back on a cloud. And every eye is going to see him. He is coming back. Well, what's taking him so long, Pastor? It's been 2,000 years. Well, in God's economy, it's really only been two days. Because a 1,000 years are like one day, and a day is like a 1,000 years. So when we think that, man, God, where are you? I've only been gone two days. Why y'all tripping? (laughs) But more than that, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth and repent. So he is patient. He is long-suffering because when he comes, this time, the second coming, he's coming back to do war. There's going to be bloodshed. First time he came, he came to shed blood. Mercy came as a lamb, but he's coming back as the lion from the tribe of Judah. And when he comes, so again, He's staying his return. 
so that we can get the gospel, the love of Jesus out in word and in deed, my God. But Revelation twenty two twelve 12, it says, and behold, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. The king is coming, everybody. Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the spirit and the bride say, come, exclamation point. So Jesus says, I'm coming. The spirit and the bride, who's the bride? The body of Christ. Believers in Christ, we're his bride. And the bride is saying, come on, master. Come on, Jesus. And then the Bible says, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the bride is saying, come on. That's the yearning of the bride, for the bridegroom. But if the bride is not saying, come, that just means the bride is preoccupied. The, the, the bride doesn't have a heavenly mindset or a heavenly hunger. The bride has been caught up, caught up the church has been caught up with temporary things and uh, uh, things that are seen and things that will pass away, mundane, worldly things. That's why he tells the parable about the virgins who missed the bridegroom because they weren't ready for his return. So he wants to know, are you not only waiting, but are you watching? And that's why this kind of stuff is good for us to bring good conviction so that we're not so earthly minded. Now, again, we don't want to be over the top and be so heavenly minded. We're of no earthly relevance or significance. But some of us are so earthly minded that we don't think about heaven and glory and eternity. You know, they send these boats out to catch crabs and to get the uh, Alaskan king crabs. They, they send these big boats out and they have it down to a science. And so there's a crew, about 10 men who, who get on these boats. And, and, and whenever I watch these shows, these crab boats are in storms and they're rocking and going up and they still dropping those cages down to catch those crabs in the middle of storms. Well, the story is told of a crab vessel that did go out. And they were to be out for a week, but they ended up staying out for two weeks because of all of the storms that had been going on. Well, they're out there still dropping the cages to catch the crabs, and then they realized we had better get on back home. So as they're heading back home and they're coming to the port, it's been two weeks instead of one. The captain looks out and he says, Hey, Josh, I see your wife out here, man. Hey, Ralph, I see your wife out here. Hey, Ben, I see Amy over here. She's waiting for you. But then there's another brother on the boat that the captain did not say his wife was out there waiting for him and watching for him. So the boat docks, and these brothers get up with their wives, and they're so happy but homeboy goes home, he got a little attitude because his wife wasn't out at the pier. <laughs> he walks in the house and she says, oh, honey, I've been waiting for you. And she hugs him, but his jaws are tight. <laughs> he said, yeah, you may have been waiting for me, but the other brother's wives were watching for them. 
And there's a difference between waiting and watching. And as the church, yeah, we're waiting for Jesus to come, but who's watching for his return? That's where we've all got to grow. Revelation 22:20 20 says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So when we talk about the kingdom coming, we're talking about the king coming. And the king is coming because he said so. There are more prophecies in scripture about the second coming of Christ than there are about the first coming of Christ. Did you hear that? We know about all the ones that talk about his first coming, but how many times do we look at Zechariah and that we look at Malachi and we look at all these books to see that they prophesied, I want to say, eight verses to one compared to his first coming and his second coming. He is coming again, and it's abundantly clear. Well, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're also praying for God's reach to come through his sheep. God's rule will come through his son, and God's reach will occur through his sheep. So when we're praying for the kingdom to come, we're praying for someone to come, and now we're praying for something to happen. It is faith married to works. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let's let the word speak. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of what? The kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. What's going on, Pastor? He preached and he taught and he also touched people. He reached people. And let's put an asterisk by this. He reached and touched hurting people, broken people, destitute people. His fame did not spread because he was a great orator. Yeah, we know never a person ever preached like Jesus, but he didn't build his ministry off of preaching alone. People came, as we saw in this passage, because he not only taught, but he touched them. So no preacher, no Christian should get so big that you're above and beyond being with the people and touching hurting people. So Jesus reached people. He went to them. He didn't say, you got to come to church. No, he took the kingdom to them. But when you have a churchy mindset, you think that everything that God is going to do is limited to the building. Or if you can just get to church. No, if the church can just get to the people. Because when the church shows up, the kingdom shows up. There's more. Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. And as you go, so now he's sending out the 70. He says, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's here. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So yeah, he preached and he touched. 
But he said to my disciples, I'm training you to preach and to touch. But when I went to seminary, they just taught me how to preach. They didn't encourage me how to touch, how to reach, how to serve. Because so much is about getting theology in your head. And getting all of these wonderful thoughts and higher criticism and all that stuff. Okay, it has its place. But if you're not careful, that stuff will puff you up and stuff you up where you never touch people who need to be touched. I learned early on as a pastor, though, all that stuff I'm reading, all them volumes, man, that stuff has its place. But I got single moms in the church struggling to make ends meet. They got abusive boyfriends and and this and that is going on in the community. And I'm like, Lord, you got to help me to take this stuff and make it practical to where people are. Because that's one reason they don't come to church, because they don't think you really understand what's going on. Oh, I had to learn early. And I'm still learning. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. One of the last parables Jesus tells, if not the last one. And it's about heaven, but it's also about earth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king, capital K, will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You know the rest of the story, at least I hope you do. The sheep go on to ask the king, when did we see you like this? Hungry and naked and, 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 and a stranger. When did we see you? And the king said, when you have done it to the least of these, my brothers... So Jesus is saying, I'm brothers with the naked. I'm brothers with the hungry. I'm brothers with the thirsty. I'm brothers with those in prison and those who are sick. When you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So when you served people who couldn't give you anything in return, Jesus said, you were serving me when you served them. So the sheep are the ones on the right who do the work of the king, which allows them to inherit the kingdom because they were doing God's kingdom work on earth. Now them goats, them goats, them goats, them goats. They didn't do anything. What I love about this is when he talks about inheriting the kingdom of heaven, it's more based on what you do as opposed to what you know. In other words, Jesus isn't asking people to take a theological quiz before going into heaven that you can really dissect and explain the uh, inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the deity of Christ, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. All these theological things that we put emphasis on, they have their place. But what good is all of that stuff 
if it doesn't lead you to help people the way the king did when he walked the earth. Um, and I hope the church is packed next Sunday when we're packing boxes. Because y'all sure were packed when we were feeding y'all. Y'all couldn't get any more people in the fellowship hall. Next week when it's time to pack boxes, this is not a guilt trip. But the king's sheep fed the hungry. Now, watch this. Give us this day our daily bread. All of the bread comes from God. He is the source of everything that comes in our lives in terms of meeting physical and mental and spiritual, emotional, financial need. He's the source. But he has various resources to get his source to the people in need. So when he's saying, pray for the daily bread to come, yeah, it comes from God, but sometimes it comes from God through God's people. But what we want to do is hoard the bread. No, he's blessed me to be a blessing. So he wants to use me in the advancement of his kingdom by making sure that when he puts resources in my hand, I don't hoard them and hold them. No, I distribute them. Kingdom thinking. Churchy thinking is, I got to get all this for me. I got to keep it. No. So, so God is saying, I'll use you to feed the hungry. The king's sheep hydrate the thirsty. Because when you give a cold drink of water in my name, that's what he's after. You have clothed the naked. You have visited the sick. That means you've comforted them and prayed for them. You visited them. Wow, Jesus knows presence is ministry. A lot of us don't want to go because we think, man, I want to see this person healed and it's overwhelming. Yeah, God is the one who does the healing, either now or later. Let me put a little pin in this right here. Healing is good, but healing isn't everything. Just tell my pastor. Everybody that Jesus healed during his earthly ministry, they died. The lepers, the blind, they all died. The ultimate healing is on the other side. So when I go and pray in Jesus' name, again, I'm stepping back. Your will be done. I'm going to be present here with the sick. Not only that, I'll be present in the prisons. I'm not just going to talk about, man, why, they, they in prison, they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus doesn't qualify your prison ministry visitations. Just go. Be with them. Because for some people, that's the only time they'll pay attention because now you have a captive audience. Elder Sherman told me something this morning in passing. That the film that he was a part of a couple of years ago called Show Me the Father. They are now showing in prisons in various states to the male and female population in prisons. And he goes out now and he's speaking in the prisons. Because when I was in prison, you came to visit me. In other words, when you go to the prison, you are dignifying the people who are there with your presence. You're not looking down on them because you know, but by the grace of God, that could be me. But by the grace of God, that was me. So you're dignifying people by your presence. 
And then you'll provide for them because somebody's going to ask you to put something on their books. But thank God for the sheep who serve in the kingdom. And finally, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for God's righteousness to come through his spirit. So I'm praying for the kingdom. I'm praying for God's son to come who will rule. I'm praying for God's reach to come through his sheep. And I'm, I'm praying also for God's righteousness to come through his spirit. Romans 14, 17, Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So again, he gives us another explanation, if you will, of what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about rules and regulations. Because in previous chapters in Romans, they're fighting over food and drink. And they're minimizing what the kingdom of God is all about. Okay, if you don't want to drink, don't drink. If you don't want to eat vegetables or meat, don't eat it. Stop judging each other. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. But it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people like the righteousness part. Oh, it's about righteousness. And again, they flip on the legalism. It's about rules and regulations. And women can't perm, hair can't wear what pertains to a man. But all the men back then were wearing uh, long stuff. Uh, uh, you can't wear pants and uh, you can't smoke. You can't drink. If you've reduced a relationship with God to what you can't do, I need to tell you, you may need to check yourself on whether or not you know God. Because God is about freedom. Responsibility, growth, but freedom, man. But it doesn't stop with just righteousness. It says righteousness and peace. What is righteousness? Righteousness is being made right with God. And the only way to be right with God is when God, as Sister Eileen said, he gives you his righteousness. Jesus imputes his righteousness to us when he takes our sins upon his body. There's an exchange. So we are righteous in the sight of God, justified. And when that happens, there ought to be some peace. I got peace with God through Jesus Christ. God is not out to get me. God, is, No, I have peace with God. The war is over. The blood of Jesus was shed for me. He rose for me. I am right with God. I have peace with God. And with that ought to come some joy. I got some joy, man. Because nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Joy! That's what happens when the kingdom comes. And it's all by the spirit of God. And not by the concoction of the flesh. God is doing the work. Oh, but it doesn't end there. Amos 5, 24. But let justice run down like water. And righteousness like a mighty strain. You see, when righteousness comes, peace comes with it. When righteousness comes, joy comes with it. But here's that part we leave out, that when righteousness comes, justice comes with it. Again, we, we like that stuff that makes us feel good. But now God is saying, okay, I'm glad that you feel good. Now I need you to do some good. Because you can't separate righteousness from justice. Amos said, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Psalm 97 verse 2, it says, righteousness and justice 
are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice, they're the foundation of this king's throne. What's the deal with that? If you dig a little deeper. The Hebrew word for righteous, the Hebrew word for justice. The Greek word, stay with me, I'm, I'm closing. The Greek word for justice, the Greek word for righteous. They all share the same root word in Hebrew and in Greek. So when you see that someone is righteous, that means they have been justified. They are just, which means that they are righteous. Old Testament, New Testament, because they're, 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 they're inseparable. Same root word. This is why this is the foundation of the throne of God, because those whom he has made righteous, he's justified them. But here's what I see with Christians. Here's what I saw with myself back in the day. I spent more time caring about being righteous in the sight of God, being justified in the sight of God. I cared more about the noun of my spiritual identity that I'm justified. I, I am righteous. I cared more about my position than my practice in doing justice. Okay, didn't come through. Let me say it again. There's the noun of being right with God. I, I am justified. Thank you, Jesus. But then there's the verb of doing justice. I'd rather be in the noun of being righteous than incorporate and even out of that flow in the verb of doing justice. Some folk want to do justice, but they're not righteous. The church so when I hear people say the church should not be about social justice, you must be a privileged white dude or a privileged black dude who's saying some mess like that. I should have got more amens when I said that. How dare you? When Jesus fed people, that was social ministry. Because it's hard to hear him preach in the next few verses, I am the bread of life when your stomach growling. So I'm going to feed you. I'm going to teach you. And then when you try to pimp me, I ain't going to let that happen now. The church ought to be about social justice. Okay, there was a revival at Asbury. There was a revival at all these different camps. Praise God. But some of us are sitting back saying, now what? Now what? You got high in the Holy Ghost. Now what? Because the Holy Ghost is going to bring not only positional righteousness, but the practice of righteousness, which is justice. Proverbs 29, verse 7. For the righteous care about justice for the poor. It's just not about me being righteous. It's about how I can serve and do justice. So if there's a revival, if you got happy in church... But it's not leading to you serving and standing in the gap and speaking up for those who need justice in this country. Something is wrong. Well, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for God's rule to come through his son. We're praying for God's reach to come through his sheep. And we're praying for God's righteousness to come through his spirit. The Lord's prayer, they call it. But Jesus never prayed this prayer. He had no sin or transgressions 
to confess. But you know who normally prays this prayer? Football teams. A lot of us learned this prayer in the King James Version. And if I jump off right now saying it, I bet two-thirds of y'all could say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Somebody said, wait a minute now. God's name is Howard. Howard be, no, hallowed be thy name. I know God's name, his name, Howard. No, no. And we can work right through the prayer. And a lot of times, football teams will get in the locker room before the game. Get on the knee and recite this prayer. Thinking that if they recite the Lord's prayer, that God's going to give them power to win the game. But what do you do when the other team in the other locker room is praying the same prayer? And God is not like the Apollo log. Some of us from Harlem or New York will watch the Apollo. Before they would come out on the stage, they rub the Apollo log for good luck. And that's how that prayer, it, it just got turned into good luck. And we recite it vainly, which if we read the Bible, we would read a few verses up before the prayer that Jesus would say, don't pray like these hypocrites with vain repetition. And we just vainly repeat this prayer thinking there's power in it because we're just reciting it by memory. No, Strong Tower, I came by here today to say that when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for someone to come and something to be done. We are praying for Jesus to come and for his church to get busy. Because if we think kingdom, we'll live kingdom. And if we live kingdom, We'll do kingdom. Please stand. Please stand with me. Yeah, that was a lot. Let's pray. Jesus, we really want to grapple with and grasp what you spent so much time talking about and demonstrating. We confess to you like the apostles, we don't understand. Would you teach us? And we thank you, Lord, that after you would preach about the tares and the wheat to illustrate the kingdom, you would spend time with them one-on-one -on -one away from the crowds, teaching them the mysteries of the kingdom, breaking down to them what various things meant in the parables that you told. Lord, help us after having heard the word from this message to get away from the church and study our Bibles to show ourselves approved. Help us to read the scripture before we even pick up someone else's book about the kingdom. Help us to read the Bible itself about the kingdom of God. And Lord, I believe that when we start reading and studying, we'll see the kingdom not only jumping off the pages, but jumping into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, you rule. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're coming back. Help us to live like we really believe these things. So that when we're tested and tried and 
tempted and we're struggling, may we recognize who the king is. When we pray, may we recognize who we're talking to and what kind of power you have. Lord, it's a process. Even after three and a half years, your disciples didn't really get it. But help us to get it. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, but never from your presence, we just want to say thank you for being our king. Thank you that we can be your sheep. And we prove that we're your sheep, not only by our confessions of faith, but by our practices that demonstrate the faith that we profess. Help us, Lord God, to look around to the hurting in our families, in our communities, in our cities and states and other countries so that we can be your hands and your feet, not just your voice. Show us who we can serve without taking a selfie. Show us who we can encourage and then earn the right to share the gospel. Yes, Lord, we care about souls, but we care about the whole person as well. Father, in Jesus' name, while I'm asking, they're hurting people in our congregation right now. They're hurting in their bodies. They're hurting in their minds. Fear is creeping in. Some have gotten doctor's reports. Some have gotten credit reports. Some have gotten bad reports on the job at school. And Father God, in Jesus' name, I'm asking that you would rise up and show yourself strong on each behalf that you would be the one who would heal the sick, that you would be the one who would open up blinded eyes, that you would be the one who would minister to the social lepers, that Jesus, you would touch your people so they could walk away talking about never have ever met a man like this. Thank you that you're a personable God. So touch your folks now. And we pray, saying now unto you, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly because you rule, you are God. Now unto you, who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before your presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we pray and thank you. Amen. And amen. Amen. Can the bride say come? I said, can the bride say come? Can the bride say come? Can the bride say come? Amen, amen, amen. Bless somebody before you leave and have a wonderful, wonderful day.